Once upon a time, there lived a sea lion who had lost the sea. He lived in a country known as the Barren Lands, high on a plateau, far from any coast. It was a place so dry and dusty that it could only be called a desert. A kind of coarse grass grew in patches here and there, and a few trees were scattered across the horizon. But mostly it was dust, and sometimes wind, which together make one very thirsty. Of course, it may seem strange to you that such a beautiful creature should wind up in a desert at all. He was, mind you, a sea lion. But things like this do happen. Friends, welcome back to the Ransom Tart Podcast. John and Stacy Eldridge in the studio today with, I think, a little treat for you. We um, are going to talk about the re-release of a book I wrote a number of years ago called The Journey of Desire, Searching for the Life We've Only Dreamed Of. And I was just reading from the story of the sea lion who lost the sea, which is a motif that um, kind of carries the the parable, carries the themes of the book through in story form as well. So welcome, welcome to the podcast, hon. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here and and to be talking about this beautiful book. In conjunction with my publisher, we're actually re-releasing um, new editions of three books, The Journey of Desire, Waking the Dead, and Walking with God. And we just wanted to take this week to talk about Journey of Desire. And Stace, you picked this book to, to be the one that you wanted to talk about. Why? You know, I think actually God picked it for me. It was assigned to me. And then I began to read it and just kind of flipped out about the timing of it. Because I think that we all go through seasons in our life when I feel like we feel like the sea lion. We're living in a dry and thirsty land and aware that we're living apart from what we are made for. But what do we do with that? And um, and I personally, my desires, dreams, which I completely believe in people having together with God, ha- had gone by the wayside. I didn't even know what they were mm-hmm. or if I was meant to have them. And so to open up Journey of Desire and to read that, Oh, oh no, mm-hmm. it's it's part of being a Christian. Mm-hmm. The true life of a Christian is to live mm. in desire with a holy longing and awaken to it. Yeah, so I quote from Pascal in chapter one, and he says, what can this incessant craving and this impotence of attainment mean unless there was once a happiness belonging to man of which only the faintest traces remain in that void which he attempts to fill with everything within his reach. Then I go on to say, should the king in exile pretend he's happy there? Should he not seek his own country? His miseries are his ally. They urge him on. Do not forsake the secret of life. Do not despise those kingly desires. We abandon the most important journey of our lives when we abandon desire. We leave our hearts by the side of the road and we head off in the direction of fitting in, getting by, being productive, what have you. Whatever we might gain, 
money, position, the approval of others, or just the absence of the discontent itself, it's not worth it. Oh my goodness. Just even that. I um, I get to a place too often where my desires can be overwhelming. I feel like they get me in trouble. And so it can also feel like the life of a Christian is just to lay them all down. Just don't want anything. It, it can feel a lot better to just try to kill them. Yes, it does. But that's the opposite of what God wants. Yeah. Jesus invites us to desire. In fact, you you write about the journey. It is the journey of desire. Yes. But that Christianity is not an invitation to being a moral person, to living a mm. life of obedience, mm. or committing some kind of soul suicide to to deaden it. But mm-hmm. but it's an invitation to desire. Yeah. In fact, that's. Um, that's in the section called Dare We Desire, an invitation to desire. This may come as a surprise to you. Christianity is not an invitation to become a moral person. It is not a program for getting us in line or for reforming society. Now, it has a powerful effect on our lives, but when transformation comes, it is always the after effect of something else, something at the level of our hearts. At its core, Christianity begins with an invitation to desire. Look again at the way Jesus relates to people, like he did with the man at the sheep gate. He is continually taking them into their hearts, into their deepest desires. Okay, John, can you expand on that? Because can't that just feel kind of mean? (laughs) Well, um, okay, so... He has set eternity in our hearts. You, you you have a heart that's made for the kingdom of God. Yes. You have a heart that's made for everything he designed you for. All of those desires are inside each one of us. And the danger is what we do with them and what we've been told to do with them mm-hmm. over the course of our life. Mm-hmm. So starting from very, very young, right, life teaches us what to do with those desires. Some people learn to indulge them. And, and it takes them not in a direction of holy longing to God, but they chase the career. They chase the approval of others. They, they chase the 12 donuts that they want to have. Indulgence is one. Just to get a taste of, trying, of something. Trying. Other people are told to kill them. Mm. Well, but God knows that he's got to take us on a journey through desire, into our desire, in order to um, free it, redeem it, mm. release it from mm. all the places it's been, resurrected from the places we've personally killed it, so that we can live. Augustine said the whole life of the Christian is a holy longing. Yes. Like we can live with passion and purpose and direction with desire that's been hooked up to God again. Oh, that's so good. This morning I was watering the plants and remembering that hymn, Jesu, Joy of Man's Desire. Mm. Just um, how we can't live with holy longing if we kill our hearts. Exactly. And he he means for our desires, from what I understand, he's meaning our desires, which cannot be completely sated here. There's moments of satisfaction, but not sated, but then hoping for Mm. what's coming. And Mm. okay, I'm jumping ahead, but that's one of the nuggets of of this book is that... um, 
pulling back the curtain on what what we are meant to hope for in Jesus, what is available on this side and yes. and what is coming. And, yes. and because of that, mm. we can live with a with a holy vulnerability yes. of being open-handed, not ignoring yeah. our desires. Yes. Yeah. Bringing them to God. Yeah. Oh, it's a dilemma, gang. I get it. Like, I, I know, just even listening to this podcast, you're like, really? I'm not so sure about that. Um, I think many of you know, it, certainly if you followed Ann Sons Magazine in the um, fall issue, there's an incredibly beautiful article that our son Sam wrote about his miscarriage. Uh, Susie and Sam miscarried our first grandchild earlier this year. And it, it was a brutal, brutal, terrible, terrible miscarriage. And and we ended up burying our first grandson. And Blaine and M were expecting as well. And as the as the birth uh, approached, as the due date approached, man, my heart was not in it. Like I had pulled way back. Mm-hmm. And and of course, because of pain, because of fear, you know, and I get it, gang. Like, I get it. Like life teaches us, you know, to, to protect. It teaches us to shut down desire and just live to survive. Get a little bit, get a little something on the side, plan that vacation, go out for that dinner, you know, buy that pair of sunglasses. We, we, we try and get little taste of it. But for the most part, what we do is we shut down desire because it feels safer. In, in fact, I've just opened the book to this as an underlying piece in Disown Desire. To live with desire is to choose vulnerability over self-protection. And then the end, the deepest moral issue is always what we, in the heart of hearts, believe about God. Yeah. Nothing reveals this belief as clearly as what we do with our desire. Okay, I'm just going to say that again. Nothing reveals what you actually believe about God like what you do with desire. Like it's so it's so exposing, mm-hmm. you know, in our hurt, in our anger, in our demand, in our sense of betrayal by God. Mm-hmm. In, in, um, so let me read again from our... Dear sea lion, had you journeyed in those days through the barren lands, you might have seen the sea lion for yourself. Quite often in the evening, he would go and sit upon his favorite rock, a very large boulder, which lifted him off the burning sand and allowed him a view of the entire country. There he would remain for hours into the night, silhouetted against the sky. And on the best nights, When the wind shifted to the east, a faint smell of salt air would come to him on the breeze. Then he would close his eyes and imagine himself once more at the sea. When he lay himself down to sleep, he would dream of a vast, deep ocean. Twisting and turning, diving and twirling, he would swim and swim and swim. When he woke, he thought he heard the sound of breakers. The sea was calling to him. Oh, 
I just, I'm, I'm, I could weep over that. Mm. I too often, and I don't want to be the sea lion that settles for a little pond. Yeah. Better to take the journey, Mm. even though it's risky and you can't see, but better to take the journey Mm. for our heart's true home Mm -hmm. than to settle for a tiny little taste of what we're meant for. Yeah. And and so, friends, God, God is so devoted. He is so committed to the recovery of our hearts, your heart, that he, he will do, he will haunt you, he will arouse you, he will allure, and he will thwart. <sighs> he will thwart. Chapter 6 is called The Divine Thwarter. And I'm going to read from our dear sea lion and then tell a story. It was in May that the winds began to blow. The sea lion had grown used to wind, and at first he did not pay much heed at all. Years of desert life had taught him to turn his back in the direction from which the wind came and cover his eyes with his flippers so that the dust would not get in. Eventually, the winds would always pass, but not this time. Day and night it came, howling across the barren lands. There was nothing to stop its fury, nothing even to slow it down. For forty days and forty nights the wind blew. And then, just as suddenly as it had begun, it stopped. The sea lion lifted himself to have a look around. He could hardly believe his eyes. Every single leaf had been stripped from his little tree. The branches that remained with only a twig or two upon them looked like an old scarecrow. And I do not need to tell you that there was no longer any shade in which to hide. But worse than this... Much worse indeed was what the sea lion saw next. The water hole was completely dry. In our journey of desire, there are times where it is the enemy, no question, assaulting us, assaulting joy. He is the thief of joy. But there are times that God himself stands in the way as the divine thwarter. He stands in the way of of our idols. He stands in the way of the things that we have given our desire over to. And and this is such a delicate subject, and it needs six podcasts in itself. I know, because, like, how do you interpret? But you interpret with the help of God. You interpret with the help of the Holy Spirit. When it feels like something is, is being thwarted, you need to stop and ask, why? Lord, are you... Are you trying to free my heart? Because we will take we will take some of the most beautiful things in life and make idols of them. We will make idols of our family, idols of a marriage. We will make idols of a ministry, of a calling. And and God does not want us to give something so precious as the depth of the core of our heart over to anything but him. And so he he will come after our idols. And, you know, our little sea lion had just settled down to life in the desert and he had a little tree and he had a little water hole. And, and that God comes to take that away, not in cruelness towards him, but to urge him back into the journey. I know his heart is good, but Oh, the process can be painful sometimes mm. because you're talking mm. and I'm thinking about um, where I've had my hope on a vacation, on the weather being amazing. And 
and it's not a wrong hope, you know, and, and we pray for the weather and, you know, command it and the authority of Jesus to clear, but sometimes it doesn't, you yeah. know, and there's a fire, there's a this yes. or there's a that. And to allow God to use that to, um, for me to say, no matter what, you're good and I am made for this, mm. for beauty and for rest mm-hmm. and for goodness. Um, okay. I'm going to read just another sentence because it ties in. Our search for the golden moment is not a search in vain, not at all. We've only had the timing wrong. We we don't know exactly how God will do it, but we do know this, the kingdom of God brings restoration. So I really like that. Like sometimes I just have the timing wrong. I Mm. get sated, but the full satisfaction is coming. And then the journey of my heart and my heart's desire is to say when it's thwarted, when it doesn't happen, when the connection or the intimacy or the beauty or the rest doesn't happen, it doesn't mean I'm not meant for it, nor that I'm not meant to want it. Nope. But that let it draw my heart to God and the truth in Jesus that it is coming. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, when we create false transcendences, God will disrupt them in his love and in his kindness to us, not in cruelty, but to free our heart again. It's not wrong to long and to want. We said Christianity is an invitation to desire. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, right? He, he constantly appeals to desire. Um, but the, the goal of the journey of desire is the coming kingdom. And when we transfer our our longing for the coming kingdom onto the things of this world, God knows it will break your heart or you will become bound and addicted to things. And so in his kindness, he comes after it. C.S. Lewis uh, had this great insight where he used the Latin phrase, the um, ordos amor, the right ordering of the loves, Mm. to love everything as it is supposed to be loved, neither too much nor too little, right? And and so much of the journey of desires is learning to love things as they were meant to be loved, and what we ultimately love is God, and what we ultimately ache for is His coming kingdom. And when those things are in their place, he loves to bless. Yes. He loves to give yes, good gifts. Yes, he does. Yeah. He really does. So so the invitation to desire is an invitation to a deeper awakening to him, right? It is. He's even doing it right now with both of us. And and he's doing it with the ministry of Ransomed Heart. We're, we're in a season where we're taking some time to listen, to pray, and and to ask God, what's the new? What do you have for us? And and it it frankly is pulling me out of a little survival and cynicism and resignation to go, really? Like dream again? Really? Right. Yeah, John. Yes. Come out from hiding. Come out from it's, you know, it's been a hard year and I'm kind of hunkered down. Yeah, and how ironic. I, I didn't even say it's not ironic isn't the right word, and how poignant is this? Um in the introduction to Journey of Desire, I tell the story of how the book was born. 
And, and I say, I did not intend to write this book alone. Brent Curtis, with whom I wrote The Sacred Romance, was a marvelous co-author, and I had looked forward to many years of working together. Indeed, all my visions for the future included him, for he was my dearest friend. But as you shall soon discover in these pages, Brent was killed in May of 1998. And so much of the book um, is born out of that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then it repeated itself again this summer with Craig. Yeah, it did. Yeah. With Craig passing away and, and how the temptation to shut down temptation to play it safe and I'm just grateful to say I, I, just, I don't want that life I don't want the shutdown life I don't you know right I don't and so God is being himself he is being disruptive and inviting he is disrupting my cynicism and resignation and he is inviting us to dream again and make plans based on those dreams. And um, I'm even writing, I'm writing a new book right now. And of all beautiful and perfect things, it's a book on the coming kingdom. And what did Jesus mean in Matthew uh, 19.28 when he says, at the restoration of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. Like, what does that mean? the coming restoration of all things. Well, you can find hints of it in your desires, friends. It's, it's everywhere in your desires. Your desire for beauty, your desire for love, your desire for moments not to end, your desire for, well, to see lost friends again. Your desires tell you what you are made for. And I just want to say, like, God is not mean in that. He's kind. Mm -hmm. He's compassionate. Mm -hmm. And he is insistent Mm -hmm. that we do not think that just by killing desires, that's a life of holiness Mm -hmm. or that's what being a Christian means. No, he invites us to be alive, to be passionate, to ache, to hurt, to desire, Because he wants to meet us in the deep places of our heart. And he can only meet us there if we're alive to them. If we will open our hearts again. Okay, so back to our our little friend, the sea lion. Three weeks after the wind ceased to blow, the sea lion had a dream. Now, as I told you before, there were other nights in which he had dreamed of the sea. But those were long ago and nearly forgotten. Even still, the ocean that filled his dreams this night was so beautiful and clear, so vast and deep, it was as if he were seeing it for the very first time. The sunlight glittered on its surface, and as he dived, the waters all around him shone like an emerald. If he swam quite deep, it turned to jade, cool and dark and mysterious. But he was never frightened, not at all. For I must tell you that in all his dreams of the sea, he had never before found himself in the company of other sea lions. This night there were many, round about him, diving and turning, spinning and twirling. They were playing, 
Oh, how he hated to wake from that wonderful dream. The tears running down his face were the first wet thing he had felt in three weeks. But he did not pause, even to wipe them away. He did not pause, in fact, for anything at all. He set his face to the east, and he began to walk as best a sea lion can. Where are you going? asked the old tortoise. I am going to find the sea. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Can I just say one final thing? Please. For all of us out there that are thirsty to, um, to read this book, let God fan the flames of your heart. Let him awaken your hope. And then you can desire for what you hope for. Mm-hmm. And for those who are not thirsty, for those who have lost their thirst, please pick it up. There's a new edition out and a new cover that we like very much. And also um, there's some new content I've added with prayers and a pause for reflection in every chapter that I think you're going to find really helpful. So if it's an old friend you haven't seen in a while, you might want to pick up Journey of Desire again. And if it's something that's new to you, oh my goodness, we think we have a, a treat in store. Absolutely. So wherever you get your books, um, online or, or here at Ransomed Heart. You've been listening to the Ransom Heart Podcast with John and Stacy Eldridge talking about the journey of desire. <laughs>